Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today, we're super excited to have Elena Marrero with us. She is the owner of a beautiful gift shop in downtown Dunedin, Florida called The Great Gifts Bee, where she gets to spend her days ordering fun merchandise for the store, selling jewelry that her father makes out of sand from the local beach, and singing to her customers. Before she purchased The Great Gifts Bee in July 2021, she spent 10 years in retail selling Lancome cosmetics for Nordstrom and Dillard's. At the makeup counter, she discovered her love for selling by building meaningful relationships with her customers. She loves helping women feel more beautiful, both with makeup and with positive affirmations. When she's not working in her store with her 14-year-old Shih Tzu, Zeus, you can find her working out on a Peloton or perhaps outside on a real bike. She still occasionally sings at venues and private functions throughout the Tampa Bay area and outside on the street in front of her store each month, which is why. She is known as the singing shopkeeper. She is passionate about giving back and volunteers as a member of the Lamplighters, a local women's organization that raises money to help severely abused children and those at risk for homelessness in Tampa Bay. At the age of 39, Elena was arrested for driving under the influence for the second time, used that event as a turning point to change her life for the better. Now alcohol-free for nearly four years, She shares openly about her journey with the hope that it will benefit others who might also want to change their relationship with alcohol. Thank you, Elena, for being so brave to be with us here today and talk about this. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I am super excited. I don't know why I'm emotional, like you reading that. (laughs) I'm emotional because it's like hearing how great things are and how they weren't so great. It's just kind of neat to hear that 360 or feel that 360, but I'm super excited to be part of the women who have, you guys have had on this podcast who are just badass, brave women. So thank you for having me. You are one of them. Just like yourself. You are one of them. Let me just, I will read to you the Brene Brown quote that we read to everybody at the beginning of our podcast. And I know this is a big reason why you're here with us today. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. So thank you again, Elena. We're really looking forward to having you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So Elena, you were arrested for the second time. I'm going to assume, right? You said driving the influence that the first time was the same. Were you were you ever put in jail or t- can you tell us about what was going through your mind that second time that finally said, that's it? I'm going to assume it was your rock bottom. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I think that there's a lot of rock bottoms. People are always looking for like a rock bottom. And I think that, that was just the culmination of a lot of smaller rock bottoms, if you will. My first DUI was when I was 21. I had just graduated college. I was at a concert. I went to jail that night too. 
And, you know, so two, you were, that means you were in jail the first time and the second time. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, that was like after a Dave Matthews concert, we were hanging out at a house. I mean, I was home safely back then. I was doing the wonderful habit of smoking cigarettes. We ran out of cigarettes as a group. I was like, I'll go. So a friend and I jump in the car. The convenience store is like literally almost in the neighborhood. And we went to get cigarettes and I got arrested on the way home. Like the guy that was in the car with me walked home and I did my sobriety test in my bikini. So I was really nervous that was going to show up on cops one day. But I went to jail at 21 years old, super sheltered, very, very sheltered. Jail was not a place that anyone wants to be, but certainly not me at 21 years old. In a bikini. In a bikini. <laughs> well, fortunately, the police officer, I had clothes in my car and he said, do you have any clothes to change into? So I was able to get like, put on clothes before I went to the station. Thank goodness. That was very kind. It was very kind. And I always had joked. I don't really make this joke anymore because I don't joke about alcohol uh, so much, but um, I don't think it's funny. But I was like, if you're going to jail, I recommend that you be intoxicated <laughs> because it's not a fun. Oh, <laughs> it kind of I kind of get the message there. Like you really don't yeah. know why you drink is to numb yourself. So you're not paying attention to your reality. Right. If you're having issues. So if you're going to be in jail, you really don't want to know you're in jail or you want. Yes, I think that's the sentiment. I blacked out as usual. So you go through the whole booking process. And I think I woke up on a cold bench and they were like throwing bologna sandwiches out like lunch. And I'm like, this can't be. And at 21, I remember taking a jail shower. I mean, I am a person who had never been in trouble like in my life. And at 21, you know, I'm in West Palm Beach, far away from my parents and jail shower. Tell me what that is. What's a jail shower? Where you, they take you from the holding area and you're going to a cell and you have to remove your street clothes and they search you for drugs and things. And you're getting like booked into the jail. So like you have to take a jail shower. So, so you're out in the open. Yeah. The women are sitting there watching you. They're watching you. Yeah. I, I mean, it was like, no privacy, no dignity. Humiliating. It's humiliating. Right. So, but I'm still 21. And at that point, I'm just worried, like, are my friends going to make bail money? Like we're in college, we're broke. Like how long am I going to be in jail? Like I, we don't know anything about anything. So those were like the biggest concerns back then. And, you know, there's mandatory things that happen. So I was twice the legal limit back then. Wow. Twice the legal limit. Yeah, which I think was over 0 0.16, 0 0.08, I think is the legal limiter it was. So, you know, there's mandatory things that I had to go through at that time. Like sobriety, like testing, like, you know, DUI school. DUI school, mandatory morgue tour. I had to tour like a morgue facility. Wow. I had, you know, mandatory counseling, mandatory AA meetings, um, parole, where they drug test you and stuff like that. So, you you know, you do all that when you're 21. And, um, you know, I learned from it and maybe drank less for a little bit, but I was like, I'm not going to stop drinking. I'm only 21 years old. Did you tell your parents? Yes. Kind of had to tell my parents that whole night was like unusual because I had a friend coming into town and I was in jail. So like, I couldn't go pick up the friend from the airport. It was like a mess and I had no idea, but I did end up telling my parents, you have to, I mean, you know, you're what am I going to do? Like, I have to tell my parents, they have to know that I can't drive my car and I need to get a job that I had to ride my bike to at 21 years old after I graduated from the University of Florida. So definitely that was a step back for me. How did your parents react? You know, they're disappointed, of course. And were they concerned? Did they see this in you? 
I think, I mean, I think they were concerned, but I don't think it maybe was such a concern at that point because I'm 21 years old and, you know, they probably wrote it off as a stupid mistake. How old were you when you had your first drink? I was, I, I know I had a drink in high school, like one party, I think I remember going to and had a drink, but I didn't drink a lot in high school. I did start drinking um, heavily in college. Um, my first party that I went to, I remember they had Hunch Punch. And I don't know if you know Hunch Punch. I'm sure there's a lot of names for it, but it's like basically Everclear alcohol, green alcohol. Yes. And, and so it's like delicious. And you're like, yay, I thought I had to drink like disgusting beer or wine, but this stuff is delicious. So hot day, you know, new friends. I was wasted. I mean, like, I think I shared this with you, Patty. Like I woke up in a strange person's bed, like in a, I woke up in someone's bed and I, to this day, like, I don't believe anything happened that night, but clearly like, I really, truly don't know. That was in college. Yeah. Like the first time I drank too much, like, you know, that's crazy. Like the level of that, you know, it's so unsafe. Like I look back now and I'm like, what are you thinking? So anyway, just putting, you know, putting yourself into those kinds of dangerous situations. And I did it over and over again, but that was my first big drinking experience. You know, Elaine, a lot of times some of us go right away. If somebody has a drinking problem, some of us will go to, well, they must have alcoholism in their family or, or some, somebody, an addict in their family. It, was there any influence on you growing up that you can think of? I had such an amazing childhood. So no, my grandmother, I guess, you know, drank too much from time to time, but I was super young when she was around. So I wouldn't have known what being drunk was at that time. It wasn't something that my parents brought into my home. And maybe because I didn't ever see anybody drink, I didn't know the repercussions and I just liked it and I just did it a lot. So, you know, I like to do everything really, really well. And so I drank a lot. I was very successful at drinking a lot. <laughs> unsuccessful, if you will. I go hard with whatever I do in life and drinking was uh, no, no different. I would say we have an addictive maybe gene in, in my family um, with my grandmother and my mother's always been a smoker. My brother had some problems through life. So I would say that there's an addictive gene. So you could kind of blame it. I smoked too. You can blame it on that or what, but nothing, no trauma. No blame. Yeah. No trauma that it, like that turned me to drinking that I can remember. I think I just enjoyed it. I thought it was super cool and I thought it was fun and I loved the feeling. So, and I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's so interesting what you're saying that there wasn't, you know, there isn't a family history and there is no trauma and there's no like single event. Some of us are just driven to be all or nothing personalities. And if something feels good, we want more of it. I think we're wired that way. And our brain chemistry is that way. If, ooh, my brain loves this. I want more of this. How can I get it? And, and the feeling doesn't always have to be alcohol. Sometimes it can be replaced, right? Which maybe you have found a different outlet. Sometimes it's replaced with exercise. Sometimes it's replaced with shopping. Sometimes it's replaced with going for walks or raising animals, or I think our addictive brain just replaces the addiction. I don't think you can get rid of that process, that chemical process in your brain. You just have to work really hard to replace it with something more beneficial to yourself. Yeah. So anyway, you're 21, you, you get through the, the jail shower, which sounded awful, and you're back to working. You got a job with a bike and you've told your parents and 
So now, now you're again at 39. So what happens between 21 and 39? I just, you know, continued to drink what anyone would consider as normally, but I probably knew it was not normal. I mean, I was always the one that drank the most when we went out, probably. I remember being at jobs and, you know, being hungover. So I'm taking like saltine crackers and ginger ale to my desk. And I thought that was like normal because in that company, everybody was really drinking a lot and hungover. So, you know, you, you know, it's like a little abnormal, but it's almost normal. Yeah. Cause your environment, it fits in with your environment. Yeah. Like, and when you drink a lot, you always find people who also like to drink a lot so that you feel normal. Right. So I just spent my life drinking and listen, I'm a successful person. I'm living life. I'm having fun. I'm doing all these great things. And I met a man who coincidentally did not drink very much. And that was always like a problem for me. I was like, God, he's not very fun. Like, why doesn't he drink? (laughs) It really was a problem. But we, you know, have our relationship, break up, get married, long story. But drinking was always a part of our relationship. And I like to tell people let me go to jail first. Let me go to, I'm sitting in jail. I'm sitting in jail. It's 30, I'm 39 years old. And you know, I'm like, how can I be here again? I got pulled over after a gig. I was supposed to sing. It got canceled because of weather. So we started singing karaoke. We had wine bottles at the table that we were just pouring our own glasses. <laughs> Ridiculous. And I have a video that I didn't know I was taking and I found it later. And I, you can hear me on the video say, I need to stay at your house tonight to my friend or I need to get an Uber. And then like, you know, it's like, un- you can't understand what else I say and it clicks off. But then I get pulled over. Um, I was headed home. I was probably a mile from home, just like, you know, the last time. And um, I was super drunk. So I didn't even fight it. So I'm in jail, 39 years old. It's cold. It's right before Christmas. I remember how cold it was, like so cold in jail this time. And I had like an orange jumpsuit. And they let me keep these warm, fuzzy socks, but it was still too cold. And I was like really irate about it because I feel like I pay tax money and they should turn the heat on in the jail. This is my very <laughs> rational drinking mind at this point. Oh, I love this. Like, it's like I'm a customer and I'm yeah. super offended that they will not turn the heat up. So in order to like make my point known, like somehow... I was like, I said something, I don't know, like I was getting out of control and they were like, ma'am, are you going to hurt yourself? And I was like, well, if it's going to get me a blanket, then yes. Okay. You don't make jokes about being suicidal in a jail facility. Like don't. So I had this lovely orange jumpsuit and warm fuzzy socks. And I hoped that by saying, oh, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to get a blanket. Well, instead they took all of my clothes and gave me a paper towel dress and sat me in a private cell. And I sat in the coldest room in a paper towel for hours. Wow. That's where that got me. I mean, and I am a successful member of the community and I am sitting there like, how did you get here? Like, what are you doing? You have everything in your life, husband, family, job, friends, you know, singing gig. Like you're so respected and you respect, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? You risked all of that to drive, to drink. Like you're literally throwing it all down that middle cold toilet that I eventually had to use also <laughs> that night. Oh gosh. It's just it, like, it was mind blowing. So sitting there, like you're having that, those thoughts and a lot of shame. And I was in jail for a long time, mind you, because my husband at the time would turn his phone off at night. Like he put it on, do not disturb so that he wouldn't get any calls from any random person in jail. So I knew that he wasn't going to get me out until the next morning. until he turned his phone on. So all the phone calls that I made to him, you know, 
before I got committed to the psych ward. So you got committed to the psych ward? Well, you get, it's like evaluation. It's like a special cell. It's like a holding cell because I said I was going to hurt myself because I just wanted to blink it. Wow. So stupid. You know, I want to go back to your on video saying, I'm going to need to stay at your house or I'm going to probably need to get an Uber. Like, what is it? And I've said those words before myself and then decided, you know what? I'm fine. And I made it home without getting without getting arrested. But what is it about like, there's a realization there that, you know what, I probably shouldn't drive. And then what I, I think for me, now that I'm, I'm thinking about this, it's like, well, it's the inconvenience of, well, if I had to leave my car here, then I have to get, get pick it up. And it's like, I could fucking kill somebody on the way home, including myself. How much of an inconvenience would it be to have to get my car? Like, this is now this is what I'm saying to myself, but it's uh, clearly I'm not the only one that has like a little wrestling going on or has had a little wrestling going on in my brain about this. And it's part of my whole discovery with alcohol that drinking affects your frontal lobe. And so you can't make a good decision. So your frontal lobe was in there going, hey, get an Uber. Don't do this. Like, don't drive. Your like your brain was in there. There's reasonable people in your brain going, "Hey, don't do this. Get an Uber." But then the alcohol is like, well, washes over. You drive home. It's more convenient. You know, like you cannot make sound decisions when you're drunk. Yeah. When you have a drink, and that ironically was the the actual point when I decided to never drink again. It was in DUI school when the teacher said, "Well, we've heard since fifth grade when they give you like alcohol and drug classes, they say." Alcohol affects your frontal lobe. You can't make good decisions. But in that DUI class, that was when I had the change of if I never drink again, I'll never make a bad decision. Mm. Well, I might make a bad decision, but it won't be caused by alcohol at that point. You know, alcohol will not, if I never drink one drink, I'll never have too much again. And I'll never have those fights and I'll never make those stupid decisions. I don't know what the statistics are, Elena, but I'm going to venture to guess that that you were rare in that DUI class to have that outcome, that that's not the most common outcome. Do you know from being in that class and from, you know, the, your own experience about that? Well, I mean, I was in there for the second time, right? So, and there were people in there in that DUI class where, you know, it was their third. They had, you know, they didn't have a license when they got pulled over. They, you know, I mean, just really bad stuff, you know, and you're like, and you think, I thought, you know, I'm not these people, like I'm not these people, but hey, look at yourself in the mirror, honey. It's your second one. You were over the legal limit twice. Clearly you do need to be here. Clearly, clearly you are one of these people. Like this is a problem for you and you need to recognize it. So yes, I think that I am not, not everyone has that same outcome. Sadly, I didn't have it the first time either. And I credit a, just that thinking in jail in a paper towel sheet, like, are you are risking everything. Like your parents could have gotten a call tonight that you were dead because you wanted to drink and drive. You didn't want to get an Uber. Like what? How could you do that to them? Like, you know, you just think, how could you do that to them? How could you do that to yourself? Like those are the thoughts that are going through your head. And, you know, there's so much shame involved in DUI and drinking in general. Like I think shame fuels drinking. I know shame fuels drinking. And then there's that shame about drinking too much and who's going to find out. So I get out of jail. Um, my husband picks me up. He was like way better to me than, than maybe I deserved, but uh, he helped me get my car out of the impound lot. I had left my wallet 
like fell in the cop cars to be able to go to like all these facilities to get my wallet that fell out of my purse. It was like a whole nightmare. And all he wanted to do is be on the golf course. It was a Saturday. I had to, while I was sitting in my paper towel on the metal bench, I was thinking about my job that I didn't show up at. Um, no call, no show. I'm a no call, no show at my retail job Saturday before Christmas, the busiest day of the year. And I'm like, I can't make a call to them. They don't know where I am. And I've never no call, no showed in my life. So like, I'm just traumatized. So you get out of jail and now you're like, yeah, I have my clothes on. I'm in a car. Thank you, God. And I have to call my boss and tell them, you know, what happened? Do I lie? Do I tell the truth? What do you do? You're so full of shame and just disappointment in yourself. And, you know, my husband, to his credit, like he didn't make me feel worse about it. Like he knew how bad I felt and wasn't going to harp on that, but certainly he wasn't happy about where I had ended up. And, and it was always a fear for him that I wasn't going to come home. So I think that was a fear he lived with every night. And it just, you know, this one night happened. Was that a topic of conversation for the two of you, your drinking? Was that some, was that a problem in your marriage at all? Yes. Throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What, what did that, what did that look like? What if you, if you're open to sharing? I just, you know, I was not a, fun drunk or a happy drunk. Like I said, he didn't drink a lot, which I thought made him like not very fun. So in order for me to go out and drink, I would go and seek other activities and be with friends more than I would be with him sometimes because I wanted to be where the alcohol was. And if he didn't want to drink alcohol, then he could stay home. So I definitely, when I never like to say alcohol took anything from me because it can't possibly do it, but I gave alcohol a lot in my life, a lot. I gave it my marriage. I gave it some friendships. I gave it so much time and energy and money and it never gave me anything back. Except a paper towel and a cold bench. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of fines. And shame. <laughs> and shame. So, but yeah, it was definitely always a, a problem for us. You know, I was a singer. So then I'm singing in bars until one or two in the morning, coming home drunk. I mean, I, I, but I'm a functioning drinker. So like, you know, we all look at our drinking. I think, well, I shouldn't say we all, but most people will at their lives, look at their drinking and go, am I drinking too much? Is this a problem? And you take those quizzes and maybe you fudge it. And maybe it says you definitely have a problem with alcohol, but you're like, no, I really don't have a problem with alcohol because I don't have the shakes in the morning. I don't need a drink in the morning when I get out of bed and I can hold a job, Right. Because alcoholic, you just said something so fascinating. I did not know there were quizzes to determine if you drank. <laughs> Me neither. That just says that what you're talking to, I think, is shame or guilt. You start to, you know, your your self voice shows up in your head, and it says, "Patty, are or Elena or Kara, are you are you drinking too much? Um, well, I'm not sure if we're drinking too much. Let's take a quiz and find out." <laughs> Because that that message that you're asking yourself must be repeating, 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 repeating. Yeah. And now you want to find out, am I, am I doing something bad or am I a bad person? Yeah. So I'm sorry to, I just found that fascinating. So there's quizzes. Oh yeah. There's always quizzes. There's quizzes for everything. You know this. I mean, and now it can like read your mind. You'll be like, oh, I'm so hungover. And then a quiz will just pop up. <laughs> <laughs> drink too much, you know, hey, maybe you should try these non-alcoholic drinks. But yeah, so I... You know, I always knew there was a problem. Everyone around me knew that I drank too much, but no one wants to like be the one that says it. And, you know, my parents knew I drank too much and it was a concern for them. They, you know, when you tell someone they're drinking too much, it's a fight, right? Because I, especially I wasn't a happy drunk. I was more of an argumentative kind of mean drunk sometimes where I, you know, I'm going to pick a fight or whatever. So don't tell me, don't, are you going to have another glass of wine? Yes, I am. Now I'm going to have two. 
just to prove you like, yeah, I'm going to have two. So these aren't like normal behaviors, but you can convince yourself because you're living like a normal life that it's not a problem. And I think that if we would listen to that voice more and seek out help to realize this is not really normal. I think that we would all be in better places with our drinking relationships or people who have issues. You, We all would have to actually look inward <laughs> at ourselves and and stop denying what we're seeing. We actually have to confront it. And that's hard. It is so hard to do. I mean, I'm sure you were, you said you knew you had a problem in the back of your mind, you know, and you're, you're denying it because to confront it is like, there's a lot of work to do. If I have to confront it, first of all, I can't drink and that's fun to me. Right. Right. And then second of all, I probably have to go to these meetings <laughs> and yep. be in this room with, well, with all these other people. I mean, you don't have to do that, but that's one thing you could do be in the room with all these other people who they're not like me. You don't want to see that. Right. So and give up your friendships and give up your fun and give up your, your life. And then what am I going to do if I'm not drinking? How am I going to Elena, did anyone sit down with you when you were sober and talk to you about your drinking? So it's interesting. The biggest turning point for me, probably in my drinking was my, he was, he was not my husband at the time. We were together for like nine years. We broke up on New Year's. He went to my parents' house to tell them we'd separated, right? I wasn't living with him anymore. So we were together for nine years and he knew how I drank and smoked and did all these things. And then when we broke up, he knew that I was going to move into a home alone and drink, you know, with no one to check my drinking. And I don't know if it was out of somewhat out of anger, but it definitely was out of love. He went to my parents' house um, on New Year's Eve. I wasn't there and like had a discussion with them about my drinking. And he told them like, if she lives on her own and is not checked, she's going to kill herself. She's going to drink herself to death or she's going to kill herself. Wow. That's a big deal. So then my parents, like on New Year's Day, you know, have basically an intervention with me. So that to me, honestly, we've been broken up for a while, Mike and I, and we've been broken up a while, but that actually super pissed me off. But then was like one of the things that was like, wow, he loved me enough to go to my parents and tell them that so that they could all kind of, you know, work to get me better. So after that, I did some therapy on my own, went to some AA meetings. I did find a really good, you know, abuse counselor at that time who I felt was super helpful because good abuse counselors don't just talk about drinking. You know, they talk about all the issues that you have that cause you to drink or that create drinking anxiety, worry. When you say abuse, you mean addiction, right? Alcohol abuse. Addiction. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Uh, drug abuse counselors, abuse counselors. So um, I remember being super charged up on, you know, what that guy was teaching me and it did make a difference in, in my life. And it actually led to me and Mike getting back together. Um, we eventually got married. So, but it was, that was a, that was a big deal that he did that. And sure. it may have been somewhat, you know, out of anger, but for sure he was always motivated by truly he was concerned that I was just going to drink what, however much I want. And I did, I was, I mean, he was right. So it was a big deal that could have kept me alive for a very long time. And then, you know, I would say it was more moderate, but clearly not moderate, but it was less of a problem after that. But I still was hungover and drank to, to, I, there's, I still always did. I guess I, I don't even, I must have a high tolerance, but I black out a lot. Like I lose memory a lot. And I don't think that's normal. You don't mean now you mean when you were drinking. No, then yeah. When I'm drinking. So I 
lose the night. Like, you know, I don't remember things that are happening the night before. I don't know how I got home, these kinds of things. And that, that kind of continued, but it was way more like moderate and I guess normal, if you will, but I would still clearly drink too much from time to time. And that's how I got in jail the second time. So that's the road that got me to the paper towel dress on the cold bench. And, you know, kind of where the turnaround was, was in that class where the teacher said, alcohol affects your frontal lobe. If you know, and I just made it my own revelation. I mean, I will never forget how free I was at that moment. Like, aha, light bulb, all of the things. Like, if I never have another drink, I'll never drink too much again. And I'll never have that internal dialogue. Like, why can't I just have one? Why can't I just have two drinks? Why can't I be like so-and-so? They just only have two drinks and they're fine. You know, why can't I be normal? Well, now I know that like that gave it an, I gave him my out. And I was like, I just never drink again. Even then you're scared. Cause you're like, what well, we just talked about. That's my fun. What, how will I travel? Like when I'm on trips, I'm going to want to drink. I'm going to want to do this and I'll lose my friends. And is this really possible? So I had this idea and I shared it with, you know, Mike at the time, but I still was fearful. Like, how would I get there? How, how am I going to do this? And, um, through the penalties that you have. So DUI school was one of them. Counseling is another one. And I went to a counselor. I remember going into my first session with her, like, I am going to show her that I am so happy and so positive and drinking is not a problem for me. And she's going to think that I only need like eight (laughs) sessions, right? Because when you take the test, they're like, you'll either get like eight to 16 sessions. They get to decide how many counseling sessions you need. And I was like, I wore like Peloton stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm so healthy. And all these things. Like I'm going to, it's going to be like minimum sessions for you. <laughs> End of our evaluation. Yeah. I mean, addicts are so great at bargaining. We're so good at bargaining. <laughs> we do it all the time. It's so great that you're doing that. I'm so normal. And my life is great. I don't need this. I like I don't need this counseling. I'm so good. And she was like, yeah, it's going to be 16 sessions. And I was like, what? <laughs> and mandatory AA. And I was like, what? and uh, group therapy. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, no way, no way am I going to go to group therapy. Can I pay more? Can I do it individual? Like, I'll buy my way out of group therapy. The last thing I want to do is sit in a room full of people, like at that (laughs) DUI school, and talk about the thing that I am the most ashamed about in my life. And I don't relate to these people, obviously. I don't belong with them. So I was like, this is crazy. I was so mad. I'll bet. Again, you're the customer. I can't believe they're treating you like this. (laughs) You pay your taxes. What the heck? I am so positive. Look at, I wear Peloton clothes. Like I'm so healthy. Like I have this great life. I love that analogy. Like that or just that whole mindset of like, I'm the customer. I pay taxes. Why can't I get a blanket in this place? Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was very rational at the time. I think. Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) I get it. So I'm so blessed. Like I will always say how grateful I am that I got pulled over that night. I'd never look at my DUI as a bad thing or even a rock bottom, if you will. Like I look at it as the best, worst thing that ever happened to me because it turned my life around. So that moment and then meeting the therapist that I went to, she is a local to the Tampa Bay area. Her name is Dr. Patricia Knoll. And she has this group training that's called Good With Me Counseling. And I show up in this room full of people from my first group because she wasn't negotiating with me. There was no negotiating down or buying out the group therapy. So here I show up. I remember I had my hat on and I was like in my chair, like super sunk low. My arms are crossed. I'm so pissed. I'm just 
I'm going to be here. I'm just going to be mad. And I'm going to be mad because I don't, I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. And I'm mad about it. I'm sure she sees that all the time. You were feeding right into what she wanted to see. <laughs> I'm so pissed. I'm in this room full of people. It's like 10, 12 people, strangers. And, you know, I guess the, the format of the therapy was like, you know, they talk about one of her principles or good with me principles. And it was homework that everybody had to apply that to their life. And so the group was going around and sharing how they put that into their lives that week. So, but I looked around at the room and I'm pissed and everybody else is like, yeah, like they're not, some of them are like moderately okay. And some of them are like, yeah, like happy. And I was like, I mean, I don't want to be the only one pissed off in this room. Right. So this, apparently it's working for people like, huh, maybe I'll uh, think about this. And, you know, it definitely, definitely helped me get into the right mindset. That is what helped me address the issues that probably helped keep me drinking to where that decision that I made to never have a drink again. And I never drink too much. That therapy was what cemented it for me and made me able to have the skills and the knowledge and the thinking processes to really keep drinking out of my life. So that's the second greatest thing, you know, that happened to me as I went to those stupid group therapies, which were actually the greatest thing I've ever done. We, one of the lessons was what other people think of you is none of your business. Mm, That's such a good one. I love that one. What other people think of you is none of your business. And I, like, I had so much shame always about what is this person going to think of me? My boss, my this, my, you know, what are these people going to think of me when they find out that I got a DUI? What are they going to think of me? And then part of my sentence was two years with an interlock device, an alcohol interlock device in my vehicle, which I'd never known anyone in my life that had one of those. It's a device that you actually have to blow into before you can start your car. Wow. And I couldn't get out of it. There was no getting out of two years. And I, that was like beyond to me. Cause I'm like, what am I going to do? I valet my cars, you know, I can't valet my car. I can't have somebody from, you know, my women's organization take a ride with me. No, you can't ride with me. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I have to blow into this thing to get it started. People are going to see this. And I was so ashamed of it. The day that I had to go get it put in and I opened the door and I saw it in my car. It's like, this. it's huge. It's like six inches by 12 inches. There's this giant box. Like there's no hiding it. There's a camera attached to your dashboard. So I was just like, how am I going to get over this? And that, what other people think of you is none of your business. Being able to take that to heart changed like all of that shame. And I was like, it doesn't matter what they think. Like, it doesn't matter what they think, period. And how about if instead of being ashamed and worried that they're going to find it, I just tell everybody about it. Like, own it. Own it. And that gave me like all of this weight and relief off of me that it it changed me. Like that changed me a hundred percent. And when I was able, when I am able now to share these things and just say, this happens to me, I'm not embarrassed, like in the least about it, because I'm like, this is what happened. This is how it's changed my life. And everything like worked out fine. And even if I wasn't in a good place, I would still be like, well, this all happened and I've accepted it. So I think that's really important. I don't know if I got off on a tangent. I think what you just said is so beautiful. And what most of us just want in our life is to just have self-love and self-compassion, right? And just say, you know what? I'm okay. And it doesn't matter what you think of me because I think I'm pretty cool. And yeah, I do. I have bad things that happen to me. Maybe I don't make the best decisions all the time. I'm a human being. 
a normal human being like everyone else. I love that you said it that way, Elena. And I could see it in your face. Our listeners can't see it in your face, but how that just totally set you free. Just that one thing, that one thought, that one thing that, you know what, I'm not ashamed and what other people think of me is none of my business. And another one that we talked about a lot and I use it all the time is you don't have to, you get to. And we talk about that, you know, when it comes to working out, you know, it's just that mindset theory, but I always would say, you don't have to go to the counseling. You get to go to counseling because you're alive because you didn't kill someone. So I get to have this interlock device in my car. I get to blow into this thing every day and I'm, but I'm alive. Like I'm alive. I didn't kill someone. So this is a get to, right? So you can always, there's always a get to, if you can frame it that way, then that changes everything. So I mean, the whole program, the book was amazing. Dr. Knoll's book, Good With Me, it's fantastic. But that really, really, really helped me. So many of those principles and just living those principles every day made made all the difference. Do you still go to group? No, I don't. Fortunately, you know, would I? So actually, it's interesting. She has a Good With Me program. I mean, I love and believe in it so much. I was actually learning to be a mentor life and COVID and things got in the way. So I did not continue with that, but it's such an incredible way of life. And if you're around me enough, you're going to hear me like preach these things and you may not like it, but I'm going to do everything I can to have you see the sunny side of every situation and how you get to pay bills and how you get to, you know, do all pay a thousand dollars to get your dog's teeth clean. You know, just, there's always a positive of it. You have a dog, right? Your dog is still here. So pay the money. Enjoy it. You know, listening to you be in several situations that you didn't want to be in, that you were forced to be in, it kind of is a reminder that we we all have that. We all get, you know, even right down to being stuck behind a slow car when we're in the rush to get somewhere. But for whatever reason, like what is the reason that I am in this place? I'm finding myself that I missed this or I didn't do that or, or whatever. I'm stuck behind this person or they put me in this class. Like what is a gem that I could take from this. And obviously you were in the right places a couple of times to really change your life around possibly save your life. Who who knows? Definitely saved my life without a doubt, without a doubt. You think you would have, you think you would have drank yourself to death or had some kind of bad event? I think that I eventually would have gotten in an accident. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think my life would have been incredibly, I don't think I would have like gotten alcohol poisoning or but I definitely could have killed someone like for sure, for sure. Cause you can't, I mean, I did it for how many years did I drink and drive? I mean, so many times, so many times. And it's like, you know, so many people do it. Just talking about making that decision to drive and, and how we all do it and we've all done it. I had an evening where I was having kind of a like rough day, just something happened that I wasn't happy about. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to go home and work out. So I'm going to go get a milkshake and I'm going to go get this milkshake. There's a guy that walks up behind me. He's getting a milkshake. And I say, let's go have our milkshakes over outside here. And we started talking about how neither of us drink and we both have an ice cream addiction. And he said that he hadn't had a drink in 10 years. And I said, Oh my God, it's four for me. So like the fact that I meet someone randomly on the street, having a milkshake, like is now suddenly is not drinking was weird. And he said, you know, well, why did you stop? And I said, uh, I just chose, it wasn't giving me anything. And so I chose to stop after I was in jail. And he goes, yeah, me too. I had four years. And I was like, four years. And he committed DUI manslaughter. Oh, killed his best friend in a car accident and has to live with that every single day. 
So when I say that DUI saved my life, I mean it. Like, I don't know how many more times I could have drank and drove before that could have happened to me. It only took one, it only takes one time. And so I call the police officer that arrested me every year on my arrest date and thank him for pulling me over and tell him that I'm still really, that's really cool. Well, I guess you remember him because you got, had to go find him because you left your wallet in his back seat. Well, I knew the name it's on your ticket. I just, I really am that grateful. I'm so grateful that I got pulled over that night. I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for getting stopped and having that. What does he say to you or she say to you? It's to him. And he, I haven't, I don't really think I've even gotten to connect with him. I think I ended up leaving a message because you can't really just call police on their cell phone. But, uh, you know, they've left me messages saying, thank you. We don't hear that very often. And we're glad that your life turned around for the better. So yeah, but that's to answer your, you know, question about we all drink. Like we all have done that before. It's the next time. Could be. Did you listen to our podcast? I don't remember what number it was, but it was our interview with Vicky, my girlfriend, Vicky. She committed manslaughter, DUI manslaughter and went to jail for a year. I mean, it can change your life in an instant. And why are you going to risk all that you have for that? So true, Elena. So true. And you cannot make the good decision though. Like, right. It's interfering that, that substance, that poison is interfering with your brain. So why would you even interfere with your brain in the first place? Elena, if you could go back to that 21 year old who was in her bikini taking the breathalyzer test or the the test, could, if you could go back to her and tell her something as your functioning adult self now, what would you tell her? This is not cute. Drinking does not make you more attractive to these guys. Drinking does not make you more fun. It does not add to your life. It is not going to get you anywhere in life. It's not a right that you have. It is poison and it could eventually kill you. And as that 21 year old, I would have been like, go away. But that's what I would have said. Don't like, just stop it. Like use this and don't do it. You know, we're drinking is the only thing that is like not a normal. If you don't do it, you're not normal. Right. Like it's the only drug in college. A lot of times, right. Even in life. Like, yeah. And it's becoming thing. I'm so grateful now that there's a movement to people not drinking and it's a lot more accepted to just let someone not drink. Like a lot of people are seeing alcohol does not serve me. I'm going to not drink. So just leave me alone. But you know, in 10 years ago, it was, why aren't you drinking? You're pregnant. Yeah. Right. You know, we listen, I would be the one for sure that would give you a hard time for not drinking. What's wrong with you? For sure. It was me. Like, why aren't you drinking? That's ridiculous. Don't be no fun. Have a drink. And it's so wrong. So for those of us that you're, you're talking about, like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I, I drink, I go out, I have, I have alcohol when I'm out, I have alcohol in my house. And if I'm around someone who doesn't drink and I know they had a a difficult time with alcohol, I would usually ask, Hey, will this bother you? If I have alcohol, you know, is this going to put you in a position where you're not going to be comfortable? And I don't know if that's what the person who's not drinking wants to hear from me or not. Like, do you have any kind of perspective on that? Should we be sensitive to the fact that maybe this is a temptation? I mean, if you put out a bunch of lines of Coke in front of me, I would be extremely tempted. I might have an issue with that. But alcohol is not like Coke. Everywhere you go, there's alcohol. Right. So you, it's almost like the person who has a food addiction. You can't stop eating food or being around food. And in society, it's hard to not be around alcohol during social events. How do we help you? How do we support you, the person who doesn't drink anymore? who has a difficult time. I think one of the 
biggest things is uh, if you're hosting a party, make sure there's plenty of non-alcoholic options, you know, available. And by plenty, I mean like water, you know, tea or something, just have it. And if someone says, no, I don't drink, just leave it. Like, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I know they make like a lot of non-alcoholic beers and that kind of thing. And I don't know if that's all very necessary, but I do appreciate it. If I don't drink any of that stuff, I just feel like I don't want, I'm going to have water, period. Um, I don't want to have a mocktail or a whatever, the elixirs or whatever they have out now. I think it's just, you know, the person who's not drinking chooses to be where they go. And I think that, you know, if I had a problem with you drinking, I would make it known beforehand, probably. And I think from a lot of the groups that I am a part of, I think that's what people do. You know, I think it's it's more our responsibility to tell you how to react or tell you how to support us. I have found that it doesn't bother me whatsoever if I'm with my best friend and she has a drink or if we're out to dinner, that doesn't bother me. I am now in the dating scene and I've realized that I don't want to be with a guy who drinks like at all. Like that is not attractive to me. It's just, I don't want alcohol in my next relationship, whatever that's going to be, because I gave alcohol my last relationship. So I will not want to be with someone who I have to worry about. Are they going to drink too much and drive? Are they going to get home safely? So for me, that's some, that's my, a choice that I will make from this point on. So, you know, when it comes to friends, like you and that part, you know, we went to a party and I knew people were going to drink there. That doesn't bother me. And what you do is your choice, right? It's not for anyone else to decide or judge anyone for what they do. Everybody just got to do what's right for them. And I think that advice I give for people who wonder if they drink too much or, you know, I think there's not like a limit, right? It's not three drinks a week or five drinks a week or six drinks a week. I think that Annie Grace, who wrote a book called This Naked Mind, she wrote that it's, do I feel like I have a problem with it? Do you have shame surrounding it? Do you have regret? Are there like consequences from your drinking? So do you have shame and emotions and bad things associated with drinking? If so, then I think it's a problem. If you don't, you can have a drink and go home and never think about it again. You probably don't have a problem with drinking. You know, they probably don't. But do you have shame and bad feelings and negative things associated with it? Anyway. I think that's the that's the difference between exactly what you're saying between like I call it the addict mindset or non-addict mindset like people who might have problems with addiction but can have alcohol because of what you just said they don't have a bad relationship around it with themselves and that that substance I think that's brilliant the way she says that so that is one book that I didn't I have been fortunate in that that little light bulb went on for me and drinking has not even been a factor in my mind since then through the good with me program that I went through. You know, she teaches people how to have self-dependent esteem, not self-esteem, but self-dependent esteem rather than like other dependent esteem. And having that has kept me like to where I don't need meetings. I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm on the verge of needing a drink ever, but people who are thinking about their relationship with alcohol are thinking whether they might need to change it. Um, this Naked Mind by Annie Grace was an incredible book that I read, and it's very relatable. It's not preachy. I think that AA is so helpful for so many people, and definitely everyone should use the resources that work for them. And I think that there are new resources coming out that are helpful to people who might need a different path. So This Naked Mind has been super great for me. I'm a 
super Peloton addict, um, one of my new addictions. And there's sober groups in Peloton, just finding like finding your new people. Now, I haven't excommunicated anyone from my life. People that were in my life before are still in my life now. No one, I didn't lose friends because I didn't drink. I have not had any less fun for the past four years. It's almost four years in December. Yay. Congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I haven't had any less fun. I haven't lost any friends. Those things that you think will happen now. I don't hang out as much with some friends, right? Because I'm going to go where I'm not going to drink. So, you know, I can go to dinner with people, but I'm not going to go to a bar or a pub crawl or, you know, there are certain things I'm not going to go to. And I think just you kind of become a little bit more of a homebody when you don't drink. But when I go out, I'm still just as fun as I always was. Probably actually way more fun because I'm not embarrassing or loud or picking fights or you know, being obnoxious. So there is life beyond alcohol and it can be, it is like cooler than I ever imagined it would be. I've gone on trips and not had drinks. I went to France and didn't have champagne. I went to New York and ate at fancy restaurants and didn't need to have wine. So like this life is possible. And I just, I love to share that. And I'm very open about how great life is with alcohol for anyone who decides they want to stop. And the people who have shared with me that they've stopped, it's been amazing because then you have like this new, like super tight tribe, right? You're like, I stopped drinking. Every time I post to social media about it, people reach out and say, Hey, I stopped drinking 30 days ago. And I mean, it's like, yes. And then they ask me how to deal with trips or how to deal with this or how to deal with this. And like, it's so exciting for me that something that was so terrible for me has turned into something so great for me. And now it's actually helping other people make improvements to their lives. Like that is sweet, really cool. That's awesome. And those are, just to reiterate the two books, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace Mm -hmm. and Good With Me by Dr. Patricia Knoll. That's Mm N-O-L-L. And that one can be found at goodwithme.com. Would you say both of these books are geared towards alcohol addiction or could be possibly read by anybody who's struggling with an addiction? I would say This Naked Mind specifically deals with alcohol and its acceptance in society and its role, how it became. This Naked Mind is more of an alcohol book. And Good With Me is just teaching people how to have self-dependent esteem. That book is good for anyone, anytime, for anything. Those those are going to hear the when nothing changes, nothing changes. You don't have to get to those kinds of things where you're going to learn how to love yourself, not dependent on what anyone else thinks of you. And that's when we can really be free and live just very happily when you kind of give up the opinions of others and, and the dependence on others to approve of you or you know go along with your behavior. That's awesome. It sounds like perfectionism, which is, I think, I don't know if perfectionism is the birthplace of shame or shame is the birthplace of perfectionism, but something something like that. Yeah. It's just learning to, yeah, just not really care what anybody else thinks. Just live your life. Except you. Yeah. Right? What you think about you. Yeah. That's the most important. What would you tell someone who might be listening to this podcast who is struggling with their own drinking or whatever addiction that they're having, what would, what advice would you give them? I would say that if you're thinking that you might have a problem with drinking, it's likely that you do. 
and seek out the help of someone who has been through it or seek out the help of a counselor. Call Dr. Noel if you're, and she can help anybody from anywhere because she's Zoom, but call somebody who can give you advice and, and give you the look in the mirror that you don't want, right? You can show up to everybody and be like, life is good. I don't have a problem. But if you think that there's a problem, there's probably a problem and you should get help with it like right away. Like if you have, if you, if your arm is broken, you don't just go, Oh, I'm just going to pretend like it's okay. And it'll just get better. Right. Like you're going to go to a doctor and you're going to get help to get that fixed. So if you think you have a problem with drinking, you probably do. You probably should at least go talk about it and, and go from there. Like it can't hurt you. Can't hurt you. There's not the stigma that there used to be. I think with alcohol, I really am happy to see that age-old alcoholic definition is not it anymore. I think so many people, you know, like mommy wine culture and COVID got a lot of people drinking a lot more wine. I think, you know, people are just saying, hey, maybe I should look at this and evaluate it. And it doesn't mean you have to go to AA every week and be at a meeting. Like you can just work on your own stuff in your own individual session. You might not have to go to group therapy like I did to get the um, lesson. You don't have to sit in a paper towel on a cold metal bench to get help, you know, just go talk to somebody because it's not going to hurt. It's always going to help. And Elena has also offered so graciously that we can give out her email address and her cell phone number. And is her email address is disneygator at hotmail.com. That's D-I-S-N-E-Y-G-A-T-O-R at hotmail.com. And her phone number is 727-459-1794. And she suggests that text is probably a better way to initially communicate than phone call, correct? And just reach out. Like people, I think, have said they debated about contacting me, about asking me about drinking because they don't know if it's appropriate. And there's that like whole, what are other people going to think of me? Most people don't think of you because they're too busy thinking of themselves, first and foremost. <laughs> like, just do it. Just reach out. Like, if you have that thought to reach out to someone, do it because it's not going to bite you in the ass. Like, there people are want to help. I want to help. So if you want to ask me a question, I'm open to anything. And yeah, just always reach out. And you can also visit Elena at the Great Giftsby downtown in Dunedin. Yes, absolutely. She's got an awesome store. I recommend everybody who lives locally go there. <laughs> and if you're not living there locally, come visit and go visit her. For sure. Dunedin's a beautiful place to visit and we've got something for everyone there. And I will go and we can have milkshakes and listen to live music anytime. I love the milkshake idea. Okay. So yeah, we'll talk about addiction. And I'm like, that is my new addiction. So people who don't drink, you know, alcohol is sugar clearly. And so like I always had a sweet tooth but really raging after I stopped drinking. And mm. I don't have a problem with sugar because I know that I consume more than is recommended and I make other choices that keep it in a relatively healthy scope. So I know that if I gain 30 pounds, that's not a healthy relationship with sugar. If I have a brownie, I'm also not going to shame myself because girl lets you live. <laughs> you gotta live. And this, the listeners can't see this beautiful little with these awesome muscle person on the screen that we see. Um, this is not someone who overindulges in sugar that is obvious in your body. So you're, you're obviously doing something okay, Elena. 
Well, I think that just goes to that problem with sugar, right? Like if I was closet eating and shameful around it or having, you know, an eating disorder around it, then it's a problem. If I recognize that I consume more than normal, but I'm okay with it and I could live, you know, could live without it, but I'd rather live with it. And like, so for me, I feel like sugar is not a problem and it, and I'm okay with my relationship with sugar. It's awesome. Yeah. Same assessment, really, as what you went through with alcohol. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that through today. Like, yeah, if you have shame around it, if you're hiding it, those are signs that there's a problem. Uh, I'm very open about my sugar addiction (laughs) and my Peloton addiction. Thank God those two like go hand in hand, right? So it just definitely gives me that whole like, well, girl, you definitely are not going to get out of your Peloton session this week. Just remember that brownie when you uh, skip in your workout. So, unfortunately, now I work with fatty and I will never. <laughs> you look great. Those are beautiful muscles. Very grateful. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable about your story. You know, a compelling story that you admittedly have a, had a lot of shame around, which obviously you don't anymore. You've discovered who you are and how powerful you are. And you are self-reliant on your own confidence and, and who you are. I love that you got to this place in your life through some tough adversity and you were able to share it with us today. Thank you. And I feel like there are no mistakes, you know, like those things happened. We came into each other's lives, like the way that, you know, I met you on the street. Like there are no coincidences that you helped me continue to improve my health and life and then have this platform for me to share. Like there are no coincidences. So I'm very grateful for both of you. We're grateful back. Thank you so much. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. That's right. Des will just piece this together and take that part out.